when people ask me, like, how did you come up with Acuity? I was like, it's the most non-original story ever. I literally took those two experiences. One, as you described, is a very wide experience. One's a very deep experience. And I just cherry picked the things I liked out of both of them to kind of create, because I think there's got to be some in between here, right? Which I think is what Growth Lab and Acuity are doing is we're like, you can get some breadth of experience, but you can get some deeper technical skills, something that actually is tangible you can do to help a business, right? And so I think that's what exactly what firms like ours are trying to do is bring that approach. So today on the Faz Evolution, we have Kenji Kuramoto. He is the founder and CEO of Acuity. Acuity is a modern day accounting organization created to help small businesses with financial services. And Kenji has extensive experience in the accounting industry and currently he's a board member for the Entrepreneurs Organization, a founding venture partner at NextGen Ventures and serves on the Zero Partner Advisory Council. Kenji graduated from Wake Forest University with a Bachelor of Science in Accounting. From there, he went on to work for an accounting firm before venturing into the world of administration and entrepreneurship. These experiences led him to create Acuity in order to help businesses reach their full potential. All right, so this is the FAS Evolution, and here we focus on how finances of service is transforming the accounting industry. And this podcast, hosted by Growth Lab Finance as a Service, we're interviewing thought leaders like our friend here, Kenji, over at Acuity in the industry to ultimately help accountants, CPAs, bookkeepers, and CFOs move to a FAS mindset. So, Kenji, welcome. And I got to tell you, one of the things I first like totally enjoyed about you, we also believe the same, and it's about giving back, right? We find ourselves here because we had people in our lives, in our career that helped us. And you're always very open. You're open with your sort of experiences, best practices. And I, and I totally dig that. So welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. Really glad to be here. Always glad to catch up and uh, talk with you. I mean, you've been likewise. You've been very open with us. It's been a real kind of joy, I think, of of having firms in this space of where there's a lot of collaboration. And so it's pretty easy, I think, in, in my sense to be able to share because others have done it for so long and it's something you and I've been doing for, for quite a while. So yeah, fun to be here and talk about that a bit. Well, I remember the first time I spoke with you, you said the irony in this industry is that we're not actually competitors because we're not competing for the same customers. 50% of the time, it's almost as if we're competing against the small business owner themselves teaching them, bringing them along as to why our business model works for them. And so I, I remember that. And I think that was about a year and a half ago uh, we first uh, met. Absolutely. I remember it well, too. That's exactly right. And I, I have to remind our team and others that it really is. I mean, the, the small business market, it's hard to get a, a good, at least maybe a reliable number on how many small businesses there are in the U.S. You see like 26 million, 35 million, 10 million, whatever. It's a massive massive number. And so the addressable market is so huge. So it really is just thinking in terms of pure numbers. It's incredibly unlikely that any one of our firms are actually competing against each other. It's just us trying to help those business owners, right, who have been taking the burden on themselves. I think that's the place we're all focused on. So yeah, that was a fun introductory kind of sharing of those, I think, similar philosophies that you and I both kind of espouse. Yeah, because there are a lot of people that do what we do, 
either in isolation. It's very easy to go out and onto Craigslist, at least eight years ago. I haven't gone on Craigslist in a while. Hey, I need a Betty the bookkeeper, right? I need someone to code. You can go out to the market and get yourself a fractional CFO. You can get yourself a part-time controller, right? You can get all of these functions, but I feel like companies like ours that are looking at this more through the lens of the accounting and finance value stream, bringing it, bringing it all in under one umbrella and not just focused on compliance, talk to your accountant once a year or twice a year. And so that's what gets me pumped. And so, Kenji, you kind of came from that background, right? You right. did public accounting. I don't know if it was a, I believe it was a top four, right? Yeah. Well, actually, it was big six. That'll, that'll show you how far back I go. But yes, of that same global firm mentality. Yeah, absolutely. So. And so I'm curious, like how you got from that sort of traditional CPA mentality to kind of building a non-traditional firm. Yeah, it, it's a it's a weird when I think of it that regard. It is a strange place to think that like, oh my gosh, I have built a firm because <laughs> backtracking, you know, I remember my first day being in public accounting and I was at Arthur Anderson, that's mm. a big global public accounting firm. That does um, predate a lot of our listeners. It does. It does. Go look up uh, Enron and fun Enron, things like that. And all those. Yeah, there's some great documentaries. Hopefully you'll, you won't see my face in any of them. It's interesting because as a, as a young person, right? And, and I think about this a lot. I've got a, uh, my oldest right now is in college. And so I, I look back, I look at him and I'm like, I remember myself trying to make decisions on things like a major, or I don't know what I study. Like, how do I, how do I just make sure I've got a job coming out of college? And I landed in accounting for, you know, I'm not sure I really thought through it. Right. And, and in some cases, when you jump on that track in accounting as an undergrad, you kind of just get pushed through this path of like, well, you go work for an accounting firm and you go work directly there. And, and when I was coming through, it was like, oh, you go for one of the big six. That's with at the brass ring you grab. Right. And so I kind of did all that. And, and I, and landed in you know a big six firm and i kind of looked around and i'm like how Ooh. the hell did i get here like what is going on like right am i did is this what i wanted to do um and so i don't think as a young person as a young cpa i really had much of a sense of what it because i was working ridiculous crazy hours i was learning a bunch it's kind of getting my teeth kicked in on a bunch of things and i'm like i i didn't know any better i didn't know to stop and question or to think about it i just kept doing what the, the thousands of people had done before me in that firm. And so I remember after being there about four or five years, uh, the market was kind of hot then. There, this is again dating me again, where a lot of, I was actually helping on IPOs and such around the original bubbles. This is around nice. 99, 2000. And so working on that, and I was seeing this excitement happening, you know, over on people going public and smaller companies doing it. It just seemed interesting. So I started kind of looking at that thinking, well, maybe I should do that. And I ultimately left public to go to work for a tech company to kind of help them go public. Um, but I remember like leaving, very clearly leaving, like I'm leaving this accounting firm stuff in my rear view mirror because it didn't feel very innovative. It just felt kind of soul crushing. It just was, it was brutal. It was rough. Check the box. Yeah. And so I'm like, I'm jumping into something entrepreneurial, we're going to go public, it's going to be great, all this stuff. And 
what happened to us like many others around that phase. No, we didn't go public. We barely, we were lucky that we actually kept the lights on when the bubble burst, right? Around 2000, 2001. We were lucky just to keep it out of the ditch. And and um, I got thrown into, like basically the, the CFO before me kind of bailed out of there, probably in a smart way. And I got yeah, left right. the keys to it. Like I, I'm suddenly this young guy as a CFO. <laughs> I had no business being a CFO at this tech company. But everyone else had run off because, again, tech companies were cratering everywhere. So I helped it. I helped it hang on for a few years, and it actually ended up kind of coming out and doing well. It's a firm that still exists today in Atlanta, which is nice. nice. But um, through all that, what ended up happening, Dan, was interesting. Was I just started developing other friends who were entrepreneurs who were kind of in the startup space. So I really kind of liked the tech space, and we go out for lunch or go out and have beers with them, whatever. And they'd kind of get my advice on things, like, hey. You know, how would you raise capital here? How would you do this or that? And I'm like, oh, here's what I would do. And kind of just over having beers and hanging out with folks. I'm like, I wonder if there's a business model here because this is kind of fun. It felt different than the public accounting I'd been doing at Anderson. It was a little more, there was more client service, which I liked than I was getting when I was just the CFO of one company. And so, yeah, that's kind of when I went to my wife and was like, hey, I know I've got a really now good CFO job. I'm pretty young. I said, but I kind of want to try this. And so we're like, yeah, sick, let's go. Let's give it a six months. Let's give it a shot and see how it works. And lo and behold, started off with just me being a fractional CFO, seeing who would hire me, usually going to my friends yeah. like, hey, you got some work for me to do. Networking it, it, events it, until 9, yeah, 8, 9 p.m. All that stuff, right? Yeah, I remember those days. Every one of those things, you know exactly how that goes. And then then after a while, you kind of build up a little client book. Uh, and next thing you know, and I fast forward now, it's been 17. This is going into our 18th year of still kind of doing it where I'm no longer doing the work. But it's amazing thinking like, wait a minute, I would have thought after my first experience in public accounting, there would be no way that I have an accounting firm right now. However, the learnings were, you know, you don't have to have an accounting firm or a financial firm the same way we did back 20 years ago, or the same way that the, the the big four are structured or that the regional ones, there's this other universe that I think you and I operate in that you can really have a, a firm that does great accounting and financial support that is structured very differently, has a very, very different. different culture in the way they work. And that's where I think has is, is been nice for us to land in this spot because, yeah, I, I would not have been uh, satisfied continuing to kind of be inside yeah. of a large traditional public accounting firm. I'm thankful that many people do. There's a great place for them. It just wasn't the right place for me. Yeah. I definitely want to touch on the uh, higher education piece, but the kind of capstone on this, you know, you, you and I geek out to startups, venture bank companies, tech startups. And, you know, the first, the first conversation you have outside of this is how much money I'm going to make, here are the options. Here's my potential ownership in this entity and in, in this thing we're creating together. But yet in the accounting industry, these folks are waiting 15, 20, 25 years to, to get partnered, to become a shareholder. You know, that's 20 years of grinding it out for something you don't even know. I have to tell you, Kenji, yes, you've met Stephen Byler. We started this. I started this prior to him joining. We are pretty much 50-50 partners. And this year in 2020, no, well, I guess it was already last year in 2021, we actually brought in our first shareholder in addition to me and steven that's and, awesome uh his name is Corey Corey cornoyer and he's 25 26 years old yep i'm not waiting 20 years <laughs> i'm not waiting 20 years and having to deal with building the bench 
right? You bring this young talent in today. Yes, you structure it in ways where you've got, you know, it de-risks, right? The buy-sell agreement, et cetera, et cetera. But you're doing it today because I, I don't know about you, but as you get to a certain point, your exit strategies they become much more limited, right? It's not about finding someone to buy the book of business. Now, so we, yeah. Stephen and I have decided like our succession planning, it's going to be our employees. I'm 46 years old. You know, I want to make sure that in the next 10 years, I've got a succession plan that makes sense. So I agree with you. Like the, the, the mentality is very different, but I want to touch on something you brought up, education. When we go out to colleges and universities, we do a lot of office hours. Uh, we step in and teach students how to business model, financial modeling, especially on the entrepreneur side. And when we talk to accounting students, and it sort of like drives me crazy. When we talk to accounting students, traditionally, you had two paths for accounting students. You had, you go, you go public accounting, which is very mm -hmm. much, you don't go deep, but you go wide. Why? Because you get to see a lot, but you don't really get to build intimacy with business models and management teams. Or you take the inside track where you go really deep, but you don't go wide because you really only, it's only one business model. It's one company. Um, and it takes you years to sort of bounce from, from cubicle to cubicle, position to position until you get to a point where, you know, you're a director of finance, et cetera. When we talk to college students, and I'm curious what you think, businesses like ours, this sub-segment in the accounting industry, I always tell students, we offer you the best of both worlds. We, like in public, you see a lot. A lot, right? Let's face it. But you get to go deep because you are managing a smaller book of business. You get to know the, the management team. Uh, you're working with different functions in our business and you get more exposure and you create that intimacy. So I'm curious, like as you're out there recruiting, and I'm not sure if you do college level recruiting, how you're describing your, the experience a young adult can actually achieve at Acuity. That is awesome that you're out interacting with, I think, the young professionals. And even while some are students and interviewing, we, we don't typically, we usually have some interns, but I think folks like you who are out there speaking into whether it's university programs or students while they're there, we're going to need more people like y'all doing this because we got to make some changes in the educational system to let people see there are more than these two options. Second thing I was going to say around this is you nailed it. I, I think, in fact, as you were talking about the the wide versus the deep track, that's exactly what I experienced, right? I went into global public accounting. Man, that is wide as can be, wide as can be. And guess what? I was there four or five years, saw a bunch across many different things. But you know, when I had my first job, when I left to work for that tech company, I didn't know how to go into a general ledger system. I didn't know how to book a journal entry. Like I'd, I'd been, you know, I'm some stupidly, you know, high rate global, I mean, global public accountant. I couldn't even do that stuff except for maybe on, on a piece of ledger paper. Like, oh, here's the entry you got to book. I didn't know how to do it. So, right. I had this huge width. Those things experience. are called T, T somethings, right? Yeah, they're all T accounts, right? T accounts. <laughs> and so, and then I go into that first role. Um, out of public and I go into, and that was my first, it was great, but I went very deep, right? I'm all mixing. I know I'm like way down doing, I figured out how to do journal entries because I was the one having to do all of them. I was in there reconciling down in the weeds and this very narrow focus. And I think you described exactly what was the reason why I started Acuity. When people ask me like, how did you come up with Acuity? I was like, 
It's the most non-original story ever. I literally took those two experiences. One, as you described, is a very wide experience. One's a very deep experience. And I just cherry-picked the things I liked out of both of them to kind of create, because I think there's got to be some in-between here, right? Which I think is what Growth Lab and Acuity are doing is we're like, you can get some breadth of experience, but you can get some deeper technical skills, something that actually is tangible you can do to help a business, right? And so I think that's what exactly what firms like ours are trying to do is bring that approach. And so I would say you guys do a much better job of explaining that because I think that's a great way to explain it to a young person or someone who's interviewing for the first time who's maybe even only been told it's either this or this. And you guys are saying, hey, there's a, absolutely a difference. There's a, there's a middle ground here. It's not all black and white. Because that's exactly what I experienced as a young person. I wish I would have had someone like you interviewing me because that would have been interesting, like coming out of college. Like, oh, well, wait a minute. I don't have to go just do audit work, right? Do a suit right. and just do audit work. Or I also don't have to go into industry and like hang my hopes on this one, one job. This one job is going to give me all the experience I need. So I, I love the way you describe that. And I hope more and more folks are out there doing that because I think it's, we're going to need that. We need more young people coming into the profession right now. We don't have enough of them coming in from demand. And I, I get it. If, if I had to go back in again and I knew I had to go through public, just for me personally, not everybody, public again for four years, I don't know that I'd sign up to do accounting. It's just not the kind of ground I want to go through. So I think it's good to have those options. I'm glad you're out there telling people that should be a very compelling, I think, option. It would have been very compelling to me had Growth Lab been out there hiring at my school when I was coming out of public or out of uh, university. Yeah. Uh, I'll, we can end it here, but I, I, you know, when we do some of these recruiting events, I am sitting next to uh, folks in, in the industry, and I'm sitting, sitting with folks in sort of top regional um, uh, accounting firms, and I'm sitting there and I'm just like, boy, this reminds me back in the day five, eight years ago, I used to look at the accounting industry. Again, I, I didn't, I'm not a CPA. I'm not an accountant. I didn't come from the industry, if you will. And, but I remember when we first jumped into this, I said, you know, why is it that person takes so much of the profit pool that's available for accounting and finance for a small business? This one individual or this one function, whether it's your tax, like they take a disproportionate amount of the profit pool available. And yet you've got the payroll folks, the pay, the bookkeeping and, and, and so on and so forth. And I said, we got to flip this upside down. Like, yes, there's a time and place for this, but the last thing I need is to be paying somebody $250, $300 an hour to do to, to be doing overpriced journal entries mm -hmm. when they don't even understand the nuances of the business. Like they don't understand the business model. They don't, they may, yes, conceptually, they probably, they're smart enough. They get the challenges, but they're really not in it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So Kenji. You built yourself a modern day accounting organization with a focus on small businesses. When you started this, were you thinking, hey, I want to build a CFO business, part-time fractional CFO business? Were you thinking, am I building an FP&A function or am I building an accounting bookkeeping function? Or did you just have the vision to bring everything together? When, when we started, it was very, very clearly just a CFO play. It was going to be just fractional CFOs. Because when, again, this is 2004 when we started, um, you didn't see fractional CFOs out there. It was actually not something you experienced. And so I, there was, 
challenges in those early years when you had to describe to people what we were even doing. Because they were like, oh, you're an accounting firm, right? I'm like, no, 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 no. I've done that. We're not doing that again. This is a part-time CFO. And so we were very focused on just that. Then kind of getting into the controller space. Honestly, I've been a controller much longer than I've been a CFO. So those two seem to kind of make sense. And the initial vision on that, Dan, was, oh, we're going to be very focused. I remember I probably, if you were to go back and look at old Acuity marketing material, lots of like terminology around like, we're a boutique firm. I think I like that concept of like, we're going to be this high end, you know, Every one of us is going to come out of big four. We're going to you know, give big four level people to small businesses. And we were very focused just on advisory. And so we're a little unique in the space. Again, probably one of the reasons why you and I have enjoyed connecting in that we started advisory. We started at advisory level um, mm-hmm. and thought we would just do that. right? And then over the years, the situation you just mentioned, the I'm not going to pay someone 250 bucks an hour to come in and do journal entries. We started running into that, right? Someone would come and say, hey, yes, I want to hire you guys to come help me on this strategy or capital raise. And we'd go and do it, but you'd get there and guess what? The books were garbage, right? So next thing you know, you're like, well, let me clean this up real quick. And you're in there doing this. And next thing you know, you're like, wait a minute, how am I doing bookkeeping work? What am I doing? So we added, we started started adding down the lower level services, but we kind of did it, Dan is like, well, I guess we probably better got to do this. Yeah, I got to do it. This is going to be a pain. I don't really want to because we want to be this boutique advisory firm. And we started getting into it, realizing I'm an idiot. Like this is better work. This is better margin work. It's more scalable. It's more repeatable than the advisory stuff, right? The advisory stuff's important, but it doesn't scale that well all the no, time. No, it doesn't. It's, it's a little tough. I mean, you can do it, but it's harder to do that. The transactional stuff. So then we, so we became a more full service. I would think of it as firm as we kind of went along, but it took clients kind of coming and telling me like, Hey, Kenji, we would really love it if you all would help us with some of our bookkeeping. So we like your controller and CFO services. That is one of the nice things about bookkeeping accounting. It is, it is scalable. I'm curious, you know, as you think about advisory, you know, I, I love the CFO piece, um, but it is, it is very difficult to scale. You find, you know, you, you, you get yourself a $10,000 engagement per month on the high end. And you're like, oh, you mean I got to spend 30 hours a, a month on this customer? Like how many of these types of customers can one have? And you get burnt out, right? We, we work with a lot of um, fractional CFOs who need our lower level services, right? Our bookkeeping, accounting, and FP&A services to help them create leverage. Because right. again, you know, at the end of the day, there's only two ways to make money in this world. You're either leveraging capital or you're leveraging people. And well, mm-hmm. we're sort of in the leveraging people side of this, which is not an easy place to be in, mm-hmm. in the last six months and probably for the next 12 months. Um, <laughs> there's definitely a headwind coming our way if we haven't experienced it yet. But, um, you know, I love the like some of the tools that we're seeing out there because you think about what QuickBooks and Xero did to uh, accounting and bookkeeping. You're seeing tools like Giraffe, Fathom, there's Live Flow, what they're doing to potentially the FP&A side of our business. And that, and that to me is very exciting. And uh, I know you guys are a Giraffe user also. And, um, Absolutely. So I, I'm curious as to you know, what's your take 
Dan, you, you guys were uh, absolutely, I think, in the space, some of the front runners getting into FP&A because of, I think, you coming with a different background. I think that's always helpful to our industry or probably industries as a whole is people coming from a little bit outside of it. Not that you were fully outside, but uh, I think of y'all as some of the few that were not just pure bean counter accountants like the rest of us. And so um, I think that what you saw there was an opportunity in FP&A that's really didn't exist for small businesses, right? They're just, they're not going to get FP&A. Maybe you're going to try to get your controller or accounting manager or CFO, whoever's helping you to kind of do some FP&A. By and large, it hasn't existed. It hasn't been accessible to small businesses. I think you're very very much the front runners there. It's been eye-opening to us because as an advisory firm who has a long heritage in advisory, what I see FP&A represent as is a... I won't call it a more productized way to approach some of the advisory work that we've done for years, but I do think it is somewhat that. I think it's um, one thing I think that's nice about FP&A, you really can look out prospectively and do some planning around what the FP&A cycle is going to look like. Right. And I think when you can articulate that, it's really powerful for a small business because otherwise you're saying, hey, I'm going to give you some analyst and maybe a CFO, and they're going to do a whole bunch of future state stuff for you. Well, when you articulate it into discrete activities you're going to give to them, they go, oh, wait a minute, we do need to work on budgeting at this time of the year. During this time, we probably should go take a look at some of our retention and people metrics or however you know, you're structuring mm-hmm. the FP&A. I see it as something that I think many firms are going to start looking at. They should look at, right? Especially those who talk a lot about, oh, I want to get into advisory. I think actually, instead of just saying, I want to go get into CFO level work, the smarter play would be, I need to start understanding what FP&A is because I think that's a better, it's an easier sell into businesses. I think there's probably better margins to be had than just throwing CFOs out there. I think FP&A is going to be one of the, it should be, it should be one of the hottest growing areas of CAS, I think, out there over the next five years, or at least it should be if people are paying attention. Well, that said, I've got a few questions for you. I'm curious. Yes, sir. Talked a little bit about your college, your education, you know, what's, what's one piece of advice you would give your younger self or your son? Yeah. Um, I would, what I would tell a young person back myself many years ago or my son or whoever, a thing I wish I would have done differently was I think I wish I would have been a little more comfortable in my own skin. And what I mean by that is I remember when I found myself at Arthur Anderson. And I looked around and there's just all these incredibly brilliant accountants around me. And I just, you know, I looked at how analytical they were and their skill set there. And I really felt outgunned. And I probably was because those who know me well, I'm a average, maybe even mediocre CFO or accountant. I, you know, my strength and skill set has always been I'm very relational, I'm a people person. It's just what naturally. I'm inclined to do. And I was very mistaken by thinking like, well, I got to, I got to quick reshape myself because this ain't going to work. I, if I want to be a CFO someday, if I want to, maybe I want to be a partner at Arthur Anderson. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I'm like, I got to quick change these habits and quick being like the people person. I got to figure out how to make myself into this crazy discipline, analytical guru, like everybody else. And it, you know, Dan, it really kind of, I mean, I struggled with that. Like I, luckily my great wife who was there to kind of help me do this, I was like, I just felt like either I was a fraud half the time, like they're going to find out that like I, I, you know, I have to really grind to get through all this analytical stuff and I got to keep my 
outgoing personality kind of down a little bit, right? Because I'm just, that's not what they expect out of a CFO. And I just remember, even when I had that first gig as a CFO in that tech company, I'm like, I, I mean, here I am. I, I'm trying to pretend to be something yeah. like, I, and what having my own firm has taught me is it's just even the freedom, right? You start doing what you want to do, right? You and I, Dan, I'll get to hey, wear what we want to wear in the office. Do You start becoming a little more free with things. And then you almost kind of realize like, wait a minute, I, some of the successes, weirdly, that we've probably had at Acuity have been that we've done it differently. I didn't try to conform to what I think I was supposed to be. I should have been a little bit more open about like, all right, let, let Kenji just be Kenji. Let just me be yeah. myself there. And I think that anyone, when you're young, it's hard to do that. You're out there looking at what the expectations, what you're supposed to be. And I wish I would have spent more times focusing on what were my natural strengths than trying to cover up my weaknesses. Yeah, but think about it. You know, in these large institutions, large corporations, during the annual employee review cycle, you're spending 80% of your time on your weaknesses and like, 20% of your time reviewing your strengths, right? It was not until I was probably 32 and I had a great mentor, advisor, his name was John Mayers. And he said, you know, you get to a point in your life where stop focusing on your weaknesses, right? Don't let them get in your way, right? But focus on your strengths because that's where that's where it's you know the, your really well are really working yeah. take you yeah. to the next level. I mean, don't be so, blind, exactly. He just said it really well. Have a have an awareness of what those weaknesses are, but boy, don't spend a lot of time there. That's and great. so, if you could start another company, De Novo, today, hmm. I'm curious, would you stay focused on the accounting industry? I I don't know that I would today, only because I don't know if I have an answer of what I would do next, but. One thing that I think I've really enjoyed about starting a company or starting something new is, is the learning process. And not that there's not more to learn in accounting. There's plenty to learn. But um, I think I'd want to probably situate the company or, or go into something that I was really interested in trying to learn more about. I'm interested in accounting. I, For me, the accounting profession, why I love it is all the people in it, like all my friends and having conversations like this. These are really meaningful for me. But I think I would probably think of other places I could go. And whether that's you know, everyone's talking about crypto space or blockchain or finding something on there. And I, being that I lean a little bit tech side, I would probably go into something more technology oriented. I don't think I would probably do accounting again. Like it's been perfect. It's been great. But because I've done this and I, I think I've learned a good amount about the space, I'd like to go into something like, okay, cool. Where can I go geek out for the next 10 years and like, just be like, oh man, there's so much more to learn here. My COVID hobby, I started brewing beer. And so uh, I'm, a, I'm a big beer guy. And so that'd be the other one. I'm like, oh, do I want to start a little brewery or something like that? And, and, there's, and there's something to be said for that, right? Because the brewery business, you, it's, it's a hobby and it's a hobby that could potentially turn into something more. But it's something like you, you have control over. You can like experiment on your own time. These other industries that you mentioned, you, you're almost starting from scratch. If I look right. back in the last 10 years, what I enjoyed outside of the uh, direct customer engagement and contact, I really enjoyed that because I, I, for me, I've, I've always been intellectually curious. So peeling back the onion on some of these business models and, you know, this, of course, you're dealing with people, so different personas. But the building of the business, especially in those first three years, I, I look back, those were great years. But Kenji, I'm not sure I would want to go back. I'm with you on that. Yeah, It was a yeah. lot of work, bro. It was just like oh, it, yeah. we're grinding it out. And I remember even, even when we first bought our, our first business, 
there were rows and rows of file cabinets. And I remember like having, because back then it was either I take money out of my pocket to pay somebody to do this, or you, you sort of do it yourself. You, do. you just do it yep. yourself. And I remember like Steve and I would be in the office until 11 o'clock at night trying to get rid of paper. And I'd probably do things a lot different, right? And so since we're in the business of working with small, medium-sized businesses and startups and helping these founders and management teams really get to the next level, you know, clear, clean their house, build a foundation, tighten things up, but ultimately to get to the next level. So we're in it for the entrepreneurs and the small business owners. And so, you know, we all advise these businesses. So I'm curious, like, what, what type of business do you actually enjoy advising? You mentioned crypto. That's probably at the top of your list, right? Uh, I, I, we're, so we're very clearly defined, at least at Acuity, uh, that we want our client base to be made up of innovative entrepreneurs. So we just like people thinking very future state, very forward. We like the weird stuff. It just It's just kind of what we like. So I definitely have a strong bias toward give me something weird and funky, just that kind of is going to. I have to wrap my head around, but I'll actually tell you, since I, I haven't been doing any CFO work myself in many years, I, I don't spend really any time on clients, but there are a few that I spend more time with actually. And we have a little program at Acuity called Acuity Cares, where we give away our services completely free for a few nonprofits. Now, these are some select nonprofits that are doing super innovative things, right? <laughs> They're doing 3D printing of homes in 24 hours to help solve homelessness. They're doing all kinds, I mean, things like that that are just like, wow, they're issuing things like NFTs, you know, to raise money. And so um, I probably spend more of my time with some of those. I mean, I've granted a couple of them, I, I have a, um, they're nonprofits and I'm in a, you know, board capacity there. <laughs> but I really, and maybe this is maybe me getting older, more sentimental, like I have a real sweet spot these days for, highly innovative nonprofits. It's not, again, we don't seek out nonprofits as part of Acuity, but we do look for a few of them to put into this kind of our, kind of our charitable program. And those are just a joy to me because just seeing what they are doing out there making a difference is just awesome. And when they're doing it too, under new models, right? Using tech, using being very forward thinking. Those have been a ton of fun for me. Nice. So I appreciate this, Kenji. I'm curious, what's next for you guys? You know, look out 12, 24 months. You've got yeah. a lot of, we all are going to, we're all experiencing and we're probably, and if you haven't, you're probably going to experience. There's obviously a lot of headwind out there. Um, frothy markets, tight labor market, Forget about tight labor market. Like, how about labor market in complete chaos? <laughs> Nobody <laughs> knows if they want a job or they don't want a job. What do you see out there next? I still think CAS is really coming into its own right now. I think we are all of us who serve that market are in such a great spot because the issue around labor is so problematic. It's problematic for for you, for us. It's really problematic for the small business owner. Right? They're going get. I mean they're having even fewer options for people to come in and do their accounting work. So they're going to need us even more. The issue we've got, we still have a supply issue of you and I having enough great people. I know Dan, but um, so I think yeah. there's huge upside. I think what we're trying to do some focusing on is um, what do we do to try to compete in this labor market? And we're all limited. We can't, you know, can't go out there and, and, and pay a Deloitte or EY level comp. And so I think things like you're doing, right? You're taking a look at investing in younger team members. Say, hey, I'm going to put you on the cap table. 
Um, so I think thinking of different ownership and incentive models, we're doing a lot around leadership development at Acuity where people want to come in like, I want to grow in the profession. I want to give, be given more responsibility. So we're focusing a lot on trying to get some of our young leaders kind of built up. Excited. So one thing that we're doing that we've been in the process with for a year, but it's kind of backlogs. There's so many people doing it. We are hopefully, knock on wood, on schedule for becoming a certified B Corporation um, here in 2022. We submitted all of our stuff last year. We're kind of waiting to go through the audit. And that's kind of a cool program to where we feel like our team and our clients want to hear that like we're we're a good, healthy business, but we're also investing back in our communities. We're taking care of people, things like that. So we're excited to hopefully be able to enter into the B Corp community um, sometime here in 2022 when we right. get through that kind of long process. But a lot of it has focused on culture and people and, and making Acuity as attractive a place to work as possible because you can't get to all this amazing opportunity and work in small businesses because that, that number of small businesses is only growing. We can't yeah. get to it if we don't have team members. And so we're putting a lot of energy around trying to attract people. And it's it's not going to be easy. It's going to be a hell of a challenge trying to go out there and compete. And it's tough because you have to get the right people because you, you don't want to put your culture at risk. So right. you're not really looking for mercenaries. You're really looking for team members. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, our, I would say our three things for 2022, 2023 is yeah, you got to leverage, you, you got to double down on the culture, but you know, money talks and bullshit walks, mm-hmm. right? So you can mm-hmm. only do that mm-hmm. so much to, yep. you got to stay focused. Like how do you put together, how do you pay for performance, right? You know that you have to pay people to show up and right. there's a certain market range for that. And it's 10, $15,000 range for those set of skills, et cetera, or geographic location. The third piece is like the the corporate bonus plan, and that's uh, that's a place where we doubled down last year. You know, the cap table, the culture, and corporate bonus plan. I, that's what we're doing to de-risk the people side. You know, when you get a creative owner like yourself or others out there, we can start thinking about what things those firms can't offer, what can we buy them, and things like a different track than not the twenty-year traditional partner track or a different culture. Right? I think those are places or or an incentive plan that's just something that couldn't be, you know, put together inside of a uh, an accounting firm. So I think those are exactly the right ways to be focused on talent. If people do that, um, they're going to find that they're sitting in a great spot where there's just, again, we're never going to end up competing against each other because there's so many small businesses who need help. We can't get to all of them. So right. So yeah, it, it's it's there for the taking if we can get the people side figured out for sure. For the sure. opportunities there. It's the people side right now, and that's probably going to be a good solid 12 to 18 months before this all really works itself out. And we all know it's cyclical. And with that said, Kenji, I I so appreciate your time. I could talk to you for another hour, but again, I thank you. This was fun, and uh, thanks for joining the Faz Evolution. This was great. Glad to be here, Dan. It's good always to talk to you, my friend, and see you, and thanks for having me on. So that's this week's Faz Evolution. We really do appreciate you joining us. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out at growthlabfinancial.com.